had a fellow live next door to me who brewed homebrew in the bathtub. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Yeah. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, you're there. Oh, really? Mike's a little low. Can you not hear yourself? No. Oh, great. Hey, why would we have worked this out before the show? No, no, never. I can oh. hear you. Hello. Is it your box? Try, use, it uh, box? use that box over there for your headset. <laughs> it wouldn't be a broad, uh, Brewing Network broadcast unless there were technical difficulties right at the top. Jay's just plugging in. Hello. Is that better? Hello, hello. No? Uh, yeah. All right. Turn it up. Test, test. Good. One, two. Yeah, that's good. You want to start over? <laughs> no, we'll do it live. All right, fine. Hello, hello. There we go. Okay. You know, uh, maybe um, the equipment uh, is uh, following in Justin's footsteps. You just got done at Burning Man, and so it's all over the place. It doesn't know where it is. It's malfunctioning. Yeah, that's not a <laughs> – you don't want to follow that act. No. Justin post-Burning Man Just act. It's Justin's studio. It's, it's very appropriate. Well, it's that time. It's the Sour Hour. Yeah. Welcome back, everybody. I'm your host, Jay, it says here. <laughs> here at the Brewing Network Studios in downtown Concord, mm-hmm. which is what I call this place that we're in right now. Uh, and we're excited for the the show tonight. We've got uh, kind of a two-part. As you guys know, we split these shows up. We're going to record two tonight. Uh, first episode, in-studio guest, Chris Sarles, president, CEO, owner, team member, Oregon Fruit. One of our great sponsors, and uh, Chris is here to talk to us a little bit more about, you know, just all the process and kind of the background info on Oregon Fruit. So welcome, Chris. Thanks very much for having me. And you've been uh, in the Bay Area visiting a lot of other breweries. It's been uh, good for you guys, and people have been in the beer industry have been responding well to your fruit purees, which we talk about a lot on the show, even before uh, you guys became a sponsor. So uh, thank you for for all that you're doing and, and coming by today. You bet. Thanks very much. Been having fun here visiting with a whole bunch of brewers in the uh, the Bay Area that do business with us. Yeah, that's excellent. There's certainly a lot of brewers that uh, you know need high quality fruit, so I'm glad they're uh, they're hitting you up. It's definitely a great a good choice. So we'll get uh, into more depth with that uh, with Chris in a little bit, and then the second show will be uh, our old friend Dr. Lambic. Yes, we have beer from him too. Very excited. We have beer. Yes. Okay. How many beers? Three. How many did he send, and how many are there left? Nine. He sent nine. There's three left. So uh, that's going to be a great uh, second part of the show. Uh, Matt also wrote a a great new article on the fundamentals of sour beer making, which is a topic that I feel like is extremely important. And one, you know, it's nice. Our format here is good for long form and getting a good discussion with brewers, you know, yeast lab managers, suppliers that that all touch this industry. But I think one thing that's a little bit challenging for us is we kind of bounce around all the time, right? So it doesn't read like a novel where, you know, chapter one, introduction. You know, we're doing these interviews. It goes from beginner to advanced all over the place. So to have 
kind of one source, more like uh, the Milk the Funk Wiki, American Sour Beer, the book, and a place like Sour Beer Blog is a great kind of anchor spot. So, you know, if you do want to start at the beginning with a kettle sour, you go into Sour Beer Blog, read the article on fast souring with lacto. If you want to expand a little bit more, read this new article on fundamentals. And they're all incredibly in-depth. All those articles together, I think, could make a book. It's that extensive for sure. So we're uh, happy that Matt could join us and also send us some beers. What kind? Of, what, you said they were stouts? Uh, well, no, no, stouts. Yeah, no, they're robust porters. <laughs> I thought that's what you said. I was like, wait, what? One of them's uh, one of them's a lambic. One of them, uh, and two oh. of them are not labeled. Um, so we'll, we'll have to find out from him. Uh, rare beer. Indeed, yeah. You know, uh, I think we are the perfect spot for Matt to advertise his book once he puts his blog post so. together into a book. Uh, Matt, uh, you can use the Brewing Network to uh, promote it, I'm just saying. Absolutely. That's basically, um, it's an inv- individualized uh, commercial sales pitch just done over the air on the show. <laughs> just, just so you know, Matt. Well, he doesn't listen to the show. So. Oh, he doesn't? Okay. <laughs> he's only going to listen to the part that he's on. <laughs> All right. So that was Scott. Hi, Scott. Hello. Bevo used to be here and then left for She bounced. Reason. You yeah. got here and, and she immediately left. Yeah, we. She almost left her sandwich behind, and <laughs> Damn it. yeah, Scott was pretty upset. She left, it, I left, she left her. it on the desk, and I looked at it, and I was like, "Ooh, turkey sandwich! I'm going to be eating that." And then uh, you, like a jerk, yelled after her, "Beef! You forgot your sandwich!" Yeah, well, she just seems so excited about the sandwich. You know, <laughs> it's that's probably the highlight <laughs> of the day. It's an uh, exciting life we lead over here at the, uh, at the Brewing Network. Yeah, if you guys want to join in our exciting life, you can participate in the show. Call us, 888-401-BEER. You can join us in the chat, maybe. I don't know if yeah. anyone's looking at it. Cause you, can, you can join the chat, sure. Chat with some other yeah, fellow chatters. That's true. I mm-hmm. kind of, I missed that uh, fact. You can yeah. chat with the other people uh, listening to us live. As and a matter of fact, you know, most people do that. You know, for the session chat, um, mm-hmm. back when I used to be more, uh, like, reading it regularly. It's, it's been a while, but I know there was a lot of chatter that, that really didn't even have – it's like the same people that love getting together right. every week and chatting. And they, they were tangentially paying attention to the show. But really, they were just talking amongst themselves. Yeah, that's So feel cool. free to do that. Yeah, talk amongst yourselves. Feedback, scott at thebrewingnetwork.com. Uh, you can email me at my brewing network email, j at thebrewingnetwork.com. You can watch us. Uh, we've got the cameras on. We do. I may or may not be in Not yours, right. no. It's just because Beef's not here, so we're just on the main oh, just, cam. Okay. Yep. Yeah, Bevo, not doing her job. No. Yeah, brewingnetwork.com, thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV. The other way to listen to us live is the Brewing Network app. Just search BN Mobile in iTunes or whatever. And speaking of iTunes or whatever, subscribe to us and leave feedback on there. So we're, we're getting more feedback. Good. Still, still uh, five stars. And the reason I checked is because you'll recall we kind of did a call to arms yep. where it was like, if you guys are going to be kind enough to leave us feedback, please do. But just trash the session, the session. Mm-hmm. in in the comment section. Yeah. So I don't know if you could actually oh, let's see. load it up there on the on the interweb, Scott. But okay. the, the last or the the most recent comment I saw did that exactly. Really? Oh, yeah. excellent. Yeah, let me let me search for it here. So we'll pause here and just let you edit out this dead space. <laughs> uh, let's see the sour hour. Gives me and Chris time to drink drink the beer. Yeah. Um, hmm. Oh, you know, there's other stuff called Sour Hour on iTunes. Okay, I may, here, under, yeah, the, by uh, the artist Smoke DZA from the album George Cush Da Button, the Deluxe Edition. <laughs> there seems to be some, some type of cannabis crossover that I'm unaware of. What? <laughs> I don't understand the connection. All right, here we go. Podcasts. Sour Hour. It's under podcasting. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> okay, yes, we have 41 five-star reviews. Yeah, uh, ratings and reviews. Let's go. Let's see. Let's see. Newest. Um, 
Best BN show yet. This is from Chris Thomas. The best show on the BN by far. On the Sour Hour, you don't have to put up with a whiny host who disappears for months at a time. Cynical jerks who criticize all those who are the base of their uh, listenership. <laughs> Boring and ridiculous games and a giant mess of drunkenness at the end of the show. If you want classy material, stop listening to That Monday Show and tune into the Sour Hour. Very nice. Very nice. Wow. That's good stuff. That's Chris. a solid effort. You know what's really funny, too, is uh, I think the people who love this session would use the exact same points for why they like it. I yeah, love I so. the whiny host, the cynical jerks who criticize everything, and the boring and ridiculous games, and the giant mess of drunkenness at the end of the show. That's what makes it great. For a second, I was reading that, and I was like, wait, which show is he? You know, we, we, we touch on all those topics, too, for sure, from time to no time. No games. I don't come up with any stupid games for this show. Yeah, I guess we haven't done any games. Nope. Just uh, trying to translate our sponsor websites into right. uh, farmersonly.com yeah. <laughs> jingles. Which has been largely unsuccessful. <laughs> okay. Right. But, uh, yeah, thank you guys for continuing to leave feedback. These are, um, I need to read these, man. These are great. Yeah, a, real, a, lot, yeah. Of, a lot of very nice things, and we're, we're humbled by uh, your guys' support. And, yeah, just thank you so much for listening and sharing it with friends. It's, it's, it's been a great thrill. Here's um, one from RPP the Third. Insp- listen to this inspirational profound and intrinsically creative each episode is an innovative exploration of the vast perplexing and often experimental world of mixed fermentation american wild ales and the intimate endeavors of those brave enough to dabble in the art of sour beer production this guy's a writer such insightfulness <laughs> is hard found in any field of study let alone the niche of sour beer brewing you're a poet rpp the third there's way too many syllables in that for me <laughs> i'm glad you read live, that tough to live up to that yeah yeah so uh yeah mic drop yeah, try to try to beat that as well, and help us out. Uh, and that's going to help uh, people find find the show. It will. Yeah, thanks for the reviews. That's cool. Uh, okay, so what else are we going to do here at the top? Uh, I mentioned on the uh, last episodes, which were dedicated uh, to the listener beer. You guys were kind enough to send us some of your sour creations, and and I I don't know if I mentioned on the last show, but thank you guys very much. I know, you know, sour beer on a homebrew level can be in very small quantities, and to Kind of give some up to us is an honor, and you know we had a great time tasting them. They were time. really good. Yes, they were. Uh, so that show was a blast, and I'm I'm, listen- I'm re-listening to those uh, right now, and they're great. Uh, a lot of good info and good discussions we kind of get into on on a lot of various topics. So I definitely recommend. You go back and listen to the last few shows. I will say, too, the uh, uh, Jamie, homebrewer Jamie Barlow, he had sent in a couple duplicates of a couple of the beers. Mm-hmm. And there were those, uh, I think, like one or two left over that I took home and then I I'm shared. Shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> well, let me finish my sentence, man. I shared it at our poker, uh, the uh, Hop Grenade Staff uh, poker game that mm-hmm. we uh, do uh, semi-regularly. At the last one, I opened one up, and uh, it was the, the favorite beer of the night. That wow. we, open. we we always do big bottle shares at these poker games, and that people were just beside themselves over Jamie's beer. So Jamie and the rest of you talented brewers, you rock. Awesome. And you're you're doing the poker podcast now. What's that? Oh yeah. What's that called? It is called Showdown. Uh, we're, we're two nice. episodes in. Me and uh, my co-host, uh, my old buddy Ryan Grant, and uh, yeah, we've we're talking poker. If, if anyone I listen, li- will I win money? Off of oh yeah, friends. it's guaranteed. Okay, mm-hmm. you yeah. personally guarantee. There's a, yeah, yeah. There's a money back guantee. Awesome. Yeah, whatever I like you're to see buying. Those reviews whatever, after that. <laughs> <laughs> whatever buying you lose, we're on the hook for it. 
Awesome. You heard it here. <laughs> the showdown or showdown? Just show, yeah, showdownpokerpodcast.com. If you like poker and you like spoken word audio, go check it out. Yeah, awesome. I'm going to check that out because I, I need to win some more money. I've invited you to our poker game. I believe you were, yeah. last time I invited you, you responded in emojis, um, something about going to see your girlfriend. You, you did the money flying away emoji exactly. and a thumbs down, and then you did uh, the uh, guy-girl <laughs> emoji and a thumbs up. I was like, yeah. all right, he's going to go see his girlfriend. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm an emoji poet. <laughs> I can see that. I knew exactly what you meant. Mastering the medium. Okay. We, we mentioned on the last show, I believe, that we're, we've got a, a Rare Barrel event coming up. The search for the Rare Barrel. That, that's just uh, in a few... Next week. Yeah. Next weekend. It's like 10 days. I'm really excited for that. Yeah. Moscow will be there to taste our beers. Um, just nothing else really to say about that. Just wanted to bring it up. And we'll be talking about how that went. I believe you said you're going to record some audio there, too. Yeah, I'll do a little uh, Man on the Street segment so people can... Uh, I'll, we'll, we'll bring it to you in, in um, audio form. That's going to be fun. There's going to be a lot of people there for you to interview a lot of our uh, club members, uh, our participants in the search. Uh, we also have you know, various friends and uh, beer industry people that are coming by to help pitch in and help us find... The 2016 Rare Barrel. Oh, yeah. It's very exciting. GBF is coming, coming up. up. It's, it's right crazy. Corner. I think uh, before our next show, we'll have already gone and come back. So I'd uh, love to meet a lot of you guys. Last year, there's a lot of people coming up saying this isn't the show, and that's always, you know, very gratifying. And are you going to Denver? No, not this year, but um, I will be I will be in Fort Collins a few days before GABF. So I will be oh, in great. Colorado, but I have other stuff, and i, I got to head back to, to California. Is there a BN contingency at GABF? Oh, there will be, of course. You're yeah. doing the, the live Yeah, show. exactly. Yep, uh, Justin and uh, and I'm sure Bevo and JP and Tasty and some, some combination of the BN will be there, as always. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah, and the Rare Barrel will be there pouring our beer at a booth. We also are going to be a part of the What the Funk Invitational. Crooked Stave uh, puts on this uh, kind of sour wild beer festival, and Chad's been uh, nice enough to invite us uh, a few times, and we're going back for that. I, th- I believe that's going to be on either Tuesday or Wednesday of GABF. We'll find out early for it. I assume that that's probably a sold-out event. It's Tuesday, October 4th. Tuesday. And okay. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm sure it's sold out. What about the, the search for the Red Bear? Was that, was that a public event? No, we, we only uh, open it up to our club members to come and be a part of it. It's free. We just have, like, a limited number of space okay. and people we can accommodate. And then just, yeah, beer industry people invited it as well. So that'll be good. Looking forward to getting back out to Colorado, the annual tradition, the pilgrimage <laughs> of all brewers going out to <laughs> GABF. Are you going to take an RV a la Firestone? Oh, no, that sounds bad. I, I don't want to drive it back. It's the okay. only thing. Yeah, I, know I want to be flown as quickly as possible. Exactly. See, the drive there is always great. It's the drive back that's a little rough. Yeah, and what do you have to do also? Take the Monday off? Ah, uh, yeah, say? the vacation day after the vacation. Mm-hmm. Very important. Yeah. Laundry and sleeping in. Absolutely. This is a working vacation, though. But Denver's a great time. There's a, there's a fine line these days, Jay. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of blurred mm-hmm. blurred lines. Yep. Um, one other rare barrel thing I wanted to get to before maybe, uh, I don't know, a question or a sure. break. Yep. Um, is, uh, I was mentioned the club earlier. The rare barrel is reopening its sour beer club. You guys, if you've been longtime listeners, know that we have a beer club where you can get, it's the, it's the most convenient way to get rare barrel beer. Um, currently... It is open for re-enrollment to our current club members, but then on Tuesday, October 11th at 9 a.m., new members can enroll. The existing members have until September 30th to do that. Briefly, I'll go over this. If you guys are interested in trying some rare barrel beer, it's great for kind of wherever you live. We can ship beer inside of California, so a lot of people uh, maybe who don't live here get it from out of state, and they have a trustee who either 
lives by the brewery or really anywhere in California that we can ship to. So we do have quite a few uh, out-of-state people who you know, wouldn't otherwise get a chance to try the beer. So it's a $300 plus tax membership. It's 10 bottles of beer that we blend exclusively for the club. That's typically five different brands. So two bottles each of five different brands. How, how are those labeled? Do they say, like, Club Land Number 5? Are they traditional-looking rare barrel labels? They're traditional, except for the fact that we wax all those bottles with red wax. Okay. So if you see a, a bottle of our beer with red wax on it, that means it was a club-exclusive blend. So that's, that's kind of the main benefit there. But then we try and throw in all these extras, like the ability to purchase bottles online. So, you know, don't leave your house, stay in your underwear. Buy sour beer, trying to make it easy. Um, that's on both the club beers, if we have extra, but also the, the public releases, too. So, you know, you don't have to brave any crowds or anything like that. You get a, an exclusive growler and access to growler fills, which is pretty few and far between when it comes to sour beer oh, yeah. or growler fills. So, but that's all we make, and we like growler for, growlers for beer. So we're into that. You get uh, exclusive glassware made for you, 10% discount in the taste room and online on merch beer whatever it might be um you get to store your beer all the beer you buy in the year of your club membership at the rear barrel until the end of march 2018 so you know you don't have to drive over to pick it up you, you know again more convenience there more just trying to make it easy to get sour beer you can pick up your beer in person ship it to an address in california or have a trustee or proxy pick it up at the brewery and it's going to guarantee you a spot for next year's club. If you enjoy your experience, we and we've been, you know, not to toot our own horn, but I, the experience feedback we're getting is that people really like the club. In my opinion, I'm definitely biased, but I think it's the best beer club in the country. It's just a lot of cool perks that we try to give the members, and we really care about, you know, that feedback there. So, yeah, just to repeat, Tuesday, October 11th at uh, 9 a.m. for those who are not in the club currently, and. Uh, yeah, we hope we can share some of our beer with you, and you'll get to be feel a little closer to what we're talking about on the show sometimes. So, Well, I'm a semi-objective source, and I'm here to tell you there's a lot of value in it. So if you like uh, sour beer, support the Rare Barrel, one of the best producers in the world right now, and get their beer, get a lot of value out of it. Hey, do you know what your retention rate was approximately, like 15 to 16? Oh, no. You have no idea? No. I, I try to compartmentalize that stuff. I <laughs> Better you not know. Yeah, I actually didn't know right. any of that you, stuff. You I just I have right? I have notes in front of me that remind me of all the stuff that the club is because uh, Alex and our beer club coordinator Tyler do a great job on that stuff. So and they make it easy for me. They're just like, hey, make good beer. And I'm like, okay, that sounds good. I'll try. Got it. <laughs> Most do, of the time. Do you know if if your retention rate was say a hundred percent, would there be room for new members because there's more production now? I think it depends on the year. I'm not sure like what we're shooting for member wise but you know we, we do want people to have access to our beer we're interested in growing the club i'm not sure to what extent and so we don't really make promises on you know how many members or anything like that just because we don't know but it's really all about convenience and then just kind of doing some something special just for the club because i mean if you live locally you know maybe you can come to the rare barrel and pick up these kind of public releases but the club is really about convenience and exclusive blends of the beer and just kind of making it easy. I think that's, that's <laughs> so there's so much uh, hardship around sour beer, not only in the production, which we talk about a lot on this show, but just finding it. You know, it's getting more popular, but, you know, it's not like you can just walk into Safeway where, you know, while you're there picking up Oregon puree for your pie, <laughs> Oregon fruit products, you know, then you go to the beer aisle and then there's all this sour beer there. No, you know, so it's like, 
I think that that's a that's a big benefit of this experience. It just it makes it easier. There you go. All right, quick question and then beer break. Sure. Uh, this is from uh, James Shamas. Remember James? We did the uh, yeah, small barrels. Yeah, the small with him. barrel. Yep. Um, he writes in and says, uh, "Hey guys, hope everyone in Bevo is doing well." Bevo's finished her sandwich by now. <laughs> uh, he says uh, one topic. Uh, I don't think you have spent a ton of time on is kegging. He says uh, the rare barrel does have draft beer, obviously. So uh, how do you, Jay, and the team go about packaging for draft? Is it simply forced carbon and then stored cold? Are the kegs naturally carbonated? Which raises the question about priming rates and re-yeasting and storage compared to how you do it in the bottle. So how do you package for draft? So at the rare barrel, we do forced carbonation and the temperature of the storage can vary. You know, we, we do see some flavor development over time in the keg. Uh, but there are brands that we specifically only cold store. These are kind of more fleeting flavors. Um, our dry hop series beers, um, we've realized that our hibiscus sour beer, Cosmic Dust, does a lot better on draft than in the bottle. Kind of retains that fragrance, that color of the beer a lot more. Our coffee sour beer, beers that are where fresh fruit is added. And there could be like a little bit of residual sugar that we just quickly put on tap. Those will need cold storage from time to time. So we don't see a ton of development in the keg. There is some. And there's certainly a difference between our bottles, bottle conditioned, and our kegs. We did do some keg conditioning at the brewery. That's fine. I think you just have to pay attention to them a lot more closely. I think they're less stable when it comes to carbonation and flavor over time. But certainly something you can you can try out, but we went a different way at TRB. How do you monitor what's going on in a keg-conditioned keg? You just tap it and taste it. Okay. But if you wanted to continue to develop, also consider that in order to get a true sample, you have to cool it down, which kind of slows the yeast mm-hmm. and their refermentation. Sure. So if you're trying to tap it at room temp, it's going to be super foamy, and you're not going to be able to get a good good read on it. So there are practical challenges when it comes to cake conditioning, which is why we avoid it. And there's one uh, final part of James's email. It's on the topic of your, your difference between your draft and your bottle. He says, uh, I'd be interested to hear Jay's thoughts on how the draft product does differ from the bottle, so maybe a little more detail. He says, I know as a home brewer, uh, there's a lot of flavor development that happens post-bottling, but my experience is that keeping a forced carb keg at cellar temps still allows for some maturation, even if it's not undergoing a traditional refer. Sure. I think it will will still allow for some maturation. Certainly it'll be under pressure, which I think the flavor you'll develop will be different and in kind of unpredictable and unknown to me way. But yeah, we, we do have differences between the keg and bottle. Our staff, which is, you know, extremely familiar with all of our beers, they all kind of view it as, you know, a pretty large difference. You know, from the outside perspective, I think it's probably a little more minute but you know we're in the minutiae uh, all the time and we're talking about keeping up quality in our beers so i think certain beers certain people like uh in the bottle certain people like it in the keg a little bit more so uh it's kind of just a fun separate data point but none of them vary enough to kind of make us feel like the beer is not being true to what we feel it it's like but it's it's also different enough to where you can tell the difference between the two for sure. Got it. Flavor, nature of the carbonation, uh, head retention, clarity. It's all different. Thanks for writing in, James. Good to hear from you.
All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Chris Sarles from Oregon Fruit. You're listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. With over 20 years of experience making world-class craft beer and more than 100 gold medals in international competitions, Moylan's Brewing Company is not just a pretty face in craft beer. Just ask Brendan Moylan. What do we got here? The beer of the hour. Moylan's, gotta love that big M. It's like a sign of awesomeness. It's got an extra kick to it. Let's pour this bad boy. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, Moylan's. The end of the night when the kids are finally in bed, the wife's in bed, <laughs> nobody's bothering your ass anymore. That's Moylan's time. Moylan's is for you. Yeah. It's to help you out. Yeah. It helps me out. What? Well, because it's freaking awesome. Northern California brewed. It's brewed with love. With love? Oh, yeah. Tremendous. And it's always best where? Moylan's. you got to try it on tap at Moylan's in Novato. They're freaking awesome. Not only because I own the brewery, because I love the beer. Cheers! Boom! Kilt Lifter Scotch Ale takes big beers to a whole new level with rich malt balanced perfectly with delicate hops and now comes in four-pack tall boy cans so you can take the party on the go. Or come to the brewery, take a tour, and try any of Moylan's fresh creations right from the source. Check them out at Moylan's.com. Mike, you turned on there. I guess I gave you a little look. I was like, wait, is that my mic too? <laughs> you are. Um, I was uh, I was thinking about making a permanent label for you here, but uh, you're not the only person who uses the mic. Uh, you're the most it. important person, but not the only person. There you go. I like that. Buttering me up. We're back on the Sour Hour. Did you bring me any bottles? No. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I take back. I take it all back. Uh, you could probably source some draft beer someplace, <laughs> oh. some local, local place. I don't know, man. I think only the Red Barrel carries it. Okay. Fine. <laughs> Gave you a layup there. <laughs> you can say it all you want. Oh, here it. at the Hop Grenade in Northern California. Don't know what you're talking about. Huh? Chris Sarles from Oregon Fruit Products is here in studio with us. Kind enough to come down. Yeah, Chris, thanks for making the trip, man. We always love having people in the studio. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's a lot more fun. And, uh, you know, I've been looking forward to this chat for a while. And, you know, when I started to kind of think about what I wanted to talk about, I think it's kind of what a lot of uh, crappers are, are wondering, which is kind of a lot of your process. You know, I think you guys have been really successful in having the finished product that you sell be just pretty much a direct representation of, you know, what you're going for. So I think that's why it's been so popular. But before we get into a lot of the process stuff, maybe you can just give us a little background on Oregon Fruit as a company and then kind of how when you came into the picture. Uh, Oregon Fruit's been around since 1935 in the heart of the Willamette Valley in Salem, Oregon. Uh, and really started off as a uh, canned fruit manufacturer. Not very sexy and romantic, uh, <laughs> but certainly uh, for the first you know, 50, 60 years, that was the, the primary part of the business. And then a few years ago, we started branching out, and one of the areas we got into was the brewing business and our aseptic fruit. And it really started uh, with home brewers who used our product when we made it under the Vintner's Harvest label. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of home brewers started there. Uh, And then many, as they've gone into commercial brewing, have uh, kind of followed us and continued with the the aseptic package that you see today. That's great. And still to this day, it's available to home brewers, but under a different label or still the... The Vintners. Still under the Vintners Harvest label. Okay. And where where can people get that if homebrewers are interested? You can find it on uh, the Brewcraft 
uh, website as well as you can find in your local uh, uh, homebrew shops. And are the, the access for homebrewers, because uh, this is some of the feedback we were getting before the show, same all the same varieties or are there some select ones that go to the homebrew level you know what we're trying to do now um this in the last year we've tried to really keep the two consistent Mm -hmm. so before there was sort of a lead lag on it we would come out with four or five new items and then it might be another year or so before they became available at the homebrew level but this last year we we tried to launch them both commercially as well as through the homebrew at the same time so right now we are current all the way through blood orange and our most recent uh yeah blood orange and, and apricot Excuse me, blood orange and grapefruit, excuse me. Nice. That's great. And what kind of packaging does the fruit come in for homebrewers, for for pro brewers? What what does it look like? So we come, uh, what we do for that uh, Vintner's Harvest is in a a can, Mm -hmm. um, small, really easy to use can. And then as you graduate up, we do a 42-pound box, which is roughly five gallons. Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with those. You're familiar with those. (laughs) I see those go out by the uh, pallet down to your place. That's why my my shoulders have been sore all weekend. You're looking buff. I was going to say. I got out of my desk and... uh, for some, uh, let's see, black currant, blackberry, blueberry, boysenberry. All into, right. into a that's not one beer. That's a couple of different beers. But yeah, <laughs> Jay's things, lackeys uh, were on iMessage texting him the info just now. He doesn't yeah, know what exactly. the said. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, really easy to handle. We just handled, you know, like over a hundred of them. So. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I've, I've seen people who are hauling them up ladders at times, going up to the top and slitting the bag and pouring them in, uh, and it's uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. My, my pants were pretty dirty with black currant puree. <laughs> are, are there any currants other than black? You know, red currants or just currants? I don't know. You know, the only current that we do is black current. I've seen other currants available, and we've kind of poked around at them, but we're only producing black current. Okay, cool. And so, sorry, I think I interrupted when. You, so, you got the cans for the homebrewers. Yep. Homebrewers can also get the 42 pound bag and box. Probrewers can get that as well. Is there anything else? You bet. And actually, <clears throat> um, on the homebrewers, you know, our website is really user friendly and, and anyone's, you know, capable of ordering on that, uh, whether it's a homebrewer or a, a brewer. There's oh, no cool. special licenses needed or anything with that. And then uh, and fruit for brewing. Fruitforbrewing.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also get that through OregonFruit.com. Great. Both. And then we also do a, a 55-gallon, essentially, drum, which is 425 pounds of fruit. And then last, for those who are doing large-scale production, we go up to 2,300-pound totes, Oof. which looks oh, yeah. like the equivalent of a little uh, <laughs> smart car, maybe even a little bigger than a smart yeah. car full wow. of fruit. Damn. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, there's some homebrewer out there that's like, oh, yeah, I can you know, get the toad. Yeah. I'll, I'll make a huge batch. I'll, I'll fill it, take half of it out, fill the rest with beer. I'll make it into a fruit. Yeah, exactly. Cool. <laughs> well, I'm thinking they may just like, uh, you know, they built themselves like a walk-in freezer in their garage. They just buy it and like, they now have a lifetime supply of, of fruit for brewing, you know, just yeah. use a little bit of it. You know, they got a chest freezer. They kill a whole deer and they eat venison for a year. Yeah. Why not with fruit? Survivalist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My dad would like that. <laughs> Well, you know, one of the one of the things that I find that just is so incredible about the fruit that we bring in is that if you open that bag, all you're tasting is literally fresh fruit. There's nothing else done to it mm-hmm. uh, as we process, and we'll talk about that later. But you could pour that in a glass and drink it for breakfast if I've you want. It. It's it sounds delicious. I mean, yeah. it is just yeah. literally spectacular. Okay. It is all natural, all fresh, nothing added, um, minimally processed to try and retain the maximum flavors. Yeah, so let's talk about the process. And I, I kind of want to start earlier on before, you know, you guys are doing that light processing. What's the, 
you know, region, the growing region, the farms around you guys, what is that like and what is Oregon like when it comes to fruit production? You know, the uh, agricultural economy in Oregon is you know, so important to our economy. It, it's what really drives it. And it can be in hops, it can be in berries, it can be in fruits, uh, apples, etc. So we uh, really, really important. And, and the way that we source is that we try and start locally right around our plant. So for blueberries, as an example, you know, you could drive maybe 10 miles um, from our plant, and that would be where we source all of our blueberries. So the time that the machine is shaking them off the trees and then bringing them bushes into us might be just literally a couple of hours wow. and as we begin to process it. So it's just really, really fresh. And then as uh, there's times when fruit availability, either quantity or might be a, a bad harvest, we're required to go a little further out. So we just kind of think of it as we expand our concentric circles out mm-hmm. you know, yep. to as far as we have to go to get the best fruit. So in some cases, we're on the East Coast, and every once in a while, if there's something crazy going on in the in the agricultural business, we might have to bring some things in from uh, abroad. Gotcha. And, you know, you mentioned blueberries. What are some the things that are kind of closest? If people wanted the, the stuff that is closest to your facility, blueberries is one. Are there, are there others that are just kind of right there? You bet. Right in the backyard, you have blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, Plums. I, I look at one of the, the plum farmers that we we work with, where their farm's been around since 1888. It just what an incredible story yeah. of another family-owned operation. Same family this whole uh, time. The Aishan family Man. up in Forest Grove, um, and so let's see those fruits. We also have cherries that it's come black, in. Blackcurrant around there. Yes, right. blackcurrant as well, and that's that's probably cool. that's probably, a lot. I probably have missed one or two. Along the way, check my uh, (laughs) check a note. Yeah, that's prepared. You know, everyone needs their notes. But um, that's great. I mean, that's quite a lot to choose from. How about boysenberries as well? The boysenberry is maybe my favorite. Yeah. I like that one a lot. Boysenberry, and I wouldn't, you know, use this for your sales pitch, but this is how I think of it. It's like the uh, taste like chicken of fruit. Okay. You know, people try, we did the boysenberry beer. We did uh, Becoming which tastes like another berry to almost everyone who tastes it. I don't know if it's kind of a lack of familiarity with specifically boysenberry, but it's like, oh, man, this is just like blueberry to me, or, oh, this is just mm. like strawberry. It's really versatile, and I think that could that berry especially pairs really well with, with, uh, with other berries if you're going to do them kind of together. It's a berry chameleon. Yep, mm-hmm. mixed berry, like one of the, uh, the, pie, the pie cans, right? What, what, what's in the mixed berry one? I always wondered. You know, we do it differently in different uh, countries. Really? Uh, you bet. But we'll have a uh, – there'll be a cherry. There's a blueberry. There's blackberry. In some places, we actually do strawberry in it as well, wow. um, depending on, again, where we're labeling it for and packaging it for. And I think, you know, the listeners on of this show are familiar with what you guys – what you guys are doing in the brewing part of things. And we made a few references to the, the pie fruit. And that's – I mean, that is everywhere. That's in every, like, supermarket I've ever been in. It's been in some, like, small kind of groceries that I'll just walk into. And I'll always recognize it because it's just, like, that your guys' familiar logo, which I see all over the place at the rear barrel because we're using a lot of your fruit. And that is just ubiquitous. Yeah, it is. You know, funny little story. I was was down visiting the folks at uh, Abita in New Orleans, and I took a trip out to go see the folks at Tabasco 
about a three-hour drive away, who also use our, our raspberries in a raspberry product that they make in their hot sauce. Wow. And as I was driving out, I needed to stop, and as everybody does, hit the restroom. So I pulled off the side and pulled into this little small, I'll call it convenience store in the middle of nowhere. I walked in, looked on the shelf, and there's four cans of Oregon <laughs> fruit products. Right in between the Top Ramen and the Doritos. Yeah, yeah that's about right. And I was, I was laughing because, you know, for, since 1935 to today, we've had that product. It's in 50 states. It's in 15 countries. And, uh, you know, the, the little engine that could, it's been going for, you know, over 80 years as a canned product. And we're really working hard now to try and find ways to sort of regenerate interest in uh, a meal in a can and all the different things you can do with a can of fruit from a cocktail uh, before dinner to something in your meal followed by dessert and just trying to show the versatility of fruit and canned fruit. Did you do any um, impromptu quality control in that AMPM? Like check the date on the can, you know? <laughs> I always check dates on cans. Everything was good. It was. Yeah, nice. everything right. was good. That's pretty good. That's you know, good you, quality. You picture cans in those kind of stores getting a little dusty. You, you do. And I can always tell because we did a label change uh, just not that long ago. So I can always check out just label alone. Oh, yeah. I can instantly spot something. Gotcha. So when it comes to all these, you know, different fruits you guys manage and, you know, process and sell, What's the difference in, in timing? What time of year are all these kind of available? And, and then maybe kind of part of your, uh, the benefit of buying from you guys is that these products are shelf-stable. So, you know, what's the time you can kind of keep the fruits, and does that vary from fruit to fruit? Sorry, that's like right. six questions in one. But <laughs> Let me see if I'm, I'm going to go take a leak. While you... I, I'm a guy. I don't multitask very well, but let me see if I can handle all those at once. Um, so the the season for fruit for us is that we start typically in, oh, call it mid-June and kind of finish up the end of the season in late September. Sometimes it'll creep into October, but late September. And that's finishing now for us with plums. We've mm-hmm. got, as I mentioned, that the farmer in Oregon that we're bringing in just a whole bunch of beautiful, just ripe, juicy plums right now. And so we bring in a lot of fresh fruit, our our employee base sort of you know goes fourfold up while we bring in all of that fruit and then in we will freeze that fruit in some cases mm-hmm. and we'll process it throughout the year uh, so that we're always making new fresh aseptic product oh that's interesting smart uh and what was your next oh, dig in that's a, that's a good question um actually well, well i just had another question <laughs> your guy is showing <laughs> One of my other, you know, you mentioned uh, plums are kind of towards the end. What's what's the fruit that's, you know, a little more towards the, what's the June fruit? Right. We'll start in with strawberries mm-hmm. um, and then right in, we'll have raspberries coming in in there um, as well. And the Oregon strawberries are absolutely beautiful. And unfortunately, there's not enough strawberries, you know, to, to take care of everything that we'd all like to do from fresh strawberries in your grocery store to all the aseptic. So, you know, we source as many as we can from Oregon and then we'll sometimes drift south and, and do some from uh, California as well. Okay, gotcha. And then uh, the shelf life of the product overall, and then maybe if there's some variability, fruit to fruit. Yeah, so once we um, produce and actually package the aseptic, which I look forward to telling you a little bit about, but when we package that, um, we tell people anywhere from 18 to 20 
one-ish months, 24 months. That's um, a long time. That you can have that product kept. We love it when it's stored refrigerated, Mm -hmm. but it's not required. You can keep it stored in ambient temperature, and that's one of the things that we think is so makes it easy to use is that someone can order it. They can store it in their brewery and not necessarily keeping it cold. Uh, And then to be able to have that consistent flavor batch to batch, year to year, when people talk about some of the other ways that they source fruit, sometimes there's variability in that. And so we really think that we make it easy, easy package to handle as you're going to brew um, and then having that consistency and easy to store. Yeah, definitely. I can attest for that, too. Very easy to use. So variability. Variability, I'll tell you a bit of yeah. variability fruit on fruit. that on fruit. So just like the nature of fruit, when you put a let's say a berry in your mouth and you get a lot of body to the to the fruit, where you're actually tasting kind of the meat of the fruit, mm-hmm. versus if you if you bite into a, a grapefruit and you get so much water that comes out juice in it, you get the same effect in the puree because all you have is nothing but fresh fruit mm-hmm. in what we process. And it, again, really unique that way. And so uh, the variability is you get different textures, you get different consistencies, um, and certainly you get a, a wide range of colors. Yeah, and I'm sure also acid and sugar contents kind of vary across right. the fruits as well. You bet. And if you're on our website and if you happen to be you know, working with the fruit, we have uh, all those very, very specific data sheets available um, with one click. Uh, so you can learn more about how you may use it in the actual brewing. Awesome. So across the board, they're all kind of lasting that 18 to 21 months. Yeah. Okay. That's great. And so let's get into the kind of the, the why why they last. You know, so this is the quick or flash heating. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that process a little bit? Is that pasteurization? It is flash pasteurization. Okay. Um, so what we do is we when we bring the fruit in, uh, we... Instantly, as, as we're working with it to make the aseptic fruit, we put it into kettles and we're heating it up, warming it up, and it begins its journey, ultimately ending up in the aseptic bag. Mm-hmm. And that journey is that after it's heated and becomes much more liquefied, it begins going through a series of filters, you might call them, or strains, mm-hmm. so that it's getting beat up, mashed up. And as it goes through, it continues to pass, the liquids pass through, and what's left is seeds and some of those things that get spit out to the side so that, once again, what you're getting is just nothing but fruit. Mm -hmm. As it passes through those screens, it then ends up going into the flash pasteurization. And what we're really um, proud of in what we do is that we try and be minimalist in the number of ways that we touch and impact the fruit because we believe that that minimal touch is what allows us to produce on the other side, the highest quality, most flavorful, um, most um, like the fruit you'd taste, you know, fresh from the uh, from the garden. Mm-hmm. So, and then from there, it goes over to, uh, temporarily into a sort of a holding tank, uh, where we gather up enough to then begin the process of the bag uh, that we do, and then we, we it runs through an aseptic head, which is nothing more than a sterile, specialized packaging machinery mm-hmm. that um, as the bag goes up inside the the head of this uh, filler it's sprayed to ensure that it's again sterile uh, it's closed up it's filled it's sprayed one more time making sure that there's no chance for anything to be uh, impacting it negatively it's released out capped and, and it heads into the, the box. Sounds a lot like beer packaging. Yeah, it does. Sounds like a lot of hard work. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of hard work when you watch people, but it's, it's, I think it's the attention to the aseptic 
uh, packaging that really allows for that, not only the consistency, but the ability to store it in a room temperature. That's great. That's not a lot of processing. Uh, so the, the, the initial heating, that's more just like a warming up. Yeah. What temperature does that, the, the initial kettle, to make sure it can all be kind of smashed through the filters? And I don't have my notes. <laughs> that one, I, I, I'm not, I, I've never actually measured that. I can go over when you look at the flash pasteurization and, and what, again, where we try and keep it, uh, you know, in that 180 and, and just slightly above mm-hmm. uh, temperature uh, as we do that. And that's for a very quick amount it, of time. It is. Gotcha. It sounds like you're, the process is tight, but then what kind of QC are you running on it after that? So before we release every batch, we send everything out for micro testing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's typically about a three-day turnaround for what we do and what we plate. And so we're making sure that we, we meet or exceed our standards that you can see on all of those uh, spec sheets that we provide. Um, so from there, uh, once it's released, boom, it's ready and available for you. But we do uh, we do lots of QC uh, we understand the importance of that. And it's, it's also part of our the rest of our food safety that we're uh, involved with as it relates to our canning and then a lot of the food service products that we produce as well. Tied on all fronts. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, let's, uh, let's maybe hit a couple of questions and then take a quick break. Sounds good. Up. Yep, let's start with one from Mike Macris, who this is a question Uh-oh. that sounds like directed for Chris. He says, uh, what is the best way to add Oregon Fruit's wonderful fruit to a tank without spilling half of it down the front? He's that asking for, for a friend, he yeah. says. Oh, it's for you? <laughs> I think he's probably referring to the black currant I was just talking about that got all over my pants. Uh-huh. So <laughs> it was only the first bag. And then after that, I was golden the rest of the way, but that's all you need. But to answer the question, if you use a little, you know, zout or some other mm-hmm. laundry spray type thing, pants will be good as new. No well, problem. this is not a, not a question about how to clean pants. He wants to know how it, to it use a Oregon bit. Fruits' is product bit. without <laughs> spilling half of it down the front. So the answer is have somebody that isn't Jay Goodwin do it. Pretty much. Okay. From Craig, do you have any advice? I mean, there are some okay. tips on your website, actually. Um, you bet. You know, there's a couple of things, depending on where people are adding it, because there's lots of different places people add it in the brewing cycle. So depending on how you're doing it, some people just simply will literally hike up a top of a ladder and holding the bag over the kettles, they'll slit it. And it's just a, a clean, simple entry of five gallons into the uh, the kettle at that point. Um, when it comes to pouring, I'd say, Mike, you just need to go a little slower. <laughs> <laughs> I know you want to get to that grapefruit, but um, simply by tipping it upside down, we tell people to take it out of the box, um, and it's sometimes it's easier to hold that bag in your hands and then be pouring in that way because it, you can sort of get a little bit better direction coming out of the spout. Yeah, one thing I saw that I liked is uh, you know we're, we've been using pliers to pop off the cap, and then we'll we do take it out of the box and we flip it upside down. And I saw on the website, you know, you could use a like a bottle, like a can opener or something like that. And I thought, oh, okay, that could maybe work a little bit better than the pliers. The pliers are a little tough. You know, it's something that I'm glad you brought that up because it's um, something that we need to do differently. And I welcome anybody who's uh, listening tonight who's currently working with the fruit. If you shoot us a, a quick note on our website, we have specific openers designed for Ooh. opening the uh, the actual bags. So if you shoot us a note, be happy to send you one. I'll take one. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Uh, yep. And this is from uh, Bob Givens. He says, uh, what is the optimum amount of puree per gallon of sour beer to get a strong amount of flavor, but not drive the amount of sugars to more than 1% ABV increase? Ah, uh, yes. So... I'll kind of quote what you guys say with, you know, your general, not just sour beer, but I, th- I think it's like kind of a 
half pound to two pounds per gallon? Yeah, you know, I, I think that we um, so much of it is a personal preference when you get to the finished product in how much flavor you want, color, etc. Mm-hmm. So it really does. It varies from a half a pound. And I've actually worked with folks who've created three pounds in, oh, yeah. into a, a batch. So that's pretty heavy. Um, most of the time, I quote about 1.2 pounds for someone uh, if they want to use that as their starting point Mm -hmm. and you may want to go up or down from that for personal preference but i think that'll impart the flavor you're looking for so you really get um, genuine fruit flavor but not flavor that overpowers what you're really doing which is making great beer not making great fruit absolutely we want to complement the work that you're doing in the brewery and we we kind of started this process by adding one box per oak barrel. So that's, you know, the five gallons in a 59-gallon oak barrel. And I think that works really well for across a lot of the different fruits. But then there's a kind of a spectrum. So from my experience, I've seen that peach probably needs a little bit more. And raspberry, you probably don't need to go quite as high. Yep. Did you kind of experience that across Same the thing. board? Uh, strawberry tends to need more. And then when you get to black currant, uh, hold back. Because that might be the 0.4 pounds. You know, it, it's so right. intense in its flavor and strength. So it really does vary fruit by fruit. But you can guess that the lighter fruits tend to need more. Definitely. And uh, to comment on the alcohol percentage part of that, you know, we, we generally, and, you know, as you mentioned, you have the sugar content information up on the website. So you can make your own calculation based on volume and the sugar and the existing beer. But in general, what we were seeing for the most part is around a one Plato gravity increase. So that would kind of equate to about a half percentage of ABV. So, you know, you, if you're looking at something less, you can always add it. Depending on what you're adding it to, you could add it in waves to kind of check along the way. Okay, I'm going to add one box and see what that looks like. Two boxes, three boxes. Again, it depends on the vessel and all that stuff. Probably the boil kettle will be a really easy one to add to and kind of test because you've got all that, you know, kind of active mixing through the boiling process, primary fermentation, probably get a lot of mixing in there too. So you'd be able to get a good representation, but that's about what we were seeing. Yeah. I think depending on if you're doing front side, backside addition, it, you know, it, you tend to lose a little bit of that fruit representation if you, if it's on the front side. So it takes a little bit more yep. for it to, to stand up all the way through the end. I know people it, who do two phases too. So they'll do uh, a, you know, just at the end of primary fermentation, add in the fruit, then let it age out. These are sour beer producers and then bring it back and hit it again with a little higher amount. So people are using it in all different ways. Really, and, and we hear that so often. People ask, so how do I use the fruit in brewing? And I say, boy, you know, it's, that's a tough question. There's just so many different personal preferences by brewers. So I hate to answer it. I can give you some generalizations, but it really becomes – it's such an art in how you're doing it. it it's not as simple science. Yeah, and I'd say you kind of, it's kind of good across the board. I haven't heard of a way where I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound appropriate. Like I think I've heard of people doing it at packaging even. As part of the sugars that referment, so you get that last hit of fruit right going into the bottle. So, you know, I think uh, choose your own adventure and, and innovate as you will. And quickly before the break, the last part of Bob's question, we've touched on this before, but always good to reiterate. He asks, which fruits are more conducive to sour, uh, he said, and or non-sour beers. But let's focus on which fruits really work the best as, as uh, adjuncts for sour beer. And uh, Jay and I agree pretty much on, on apricots, peaches being right right at the top. I think raspberry, apricot, raspberries, top two, really easy. 
But honestly, they're all good. Uh, uh, yeah, pretty much everything you've heard mentioned, black currants and plums. Um, strawberries can tend to be problematic, but more and more breweries are figuring out uh, how to do that well, too. Yeah, we didn't have any problem with the strawberries on our uh, on our batch of that, Fields Forever. But it does seem like there's some sort of phenolic aromatic going on with strawberries at some breweries that uh, maybe shy some people away. But you know what? Oregon needs more strawberries for their, like you're saying, their, <laughs> exactly. maybe it's not the worst thing. Um, but yeah, strawberries are a little, maybe a little more finicky, but, uh, you know, I can't report any, any issues with the Oregon fruit strawberries so far. And then as for other beers, I think just choosing the style is key. I think anything could go in a Saison. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I see all the time IPA, and for I'm, I'm sure that's probably a big part of what's, you know, people are looking from, from you guys for with that too. Especially because, and we can get into this more after the break, but, you know, the difference between whole fruit that doesn't see, you know, any of this uh, heat or cold, you know, can have their own microorganisms living on them. And so if you're talking about, hey, I want to do, you know, pineapple, mango, blood orange, IPA to match the fruitiness of these new experimental hop varieties with kind of fruit in your beer as well to just have this kind of juice bomb experience, it's nice to know that. You know, you're not going to cross-contaminate if you're an all-clean brewery. You know, it's not something we, we worry about it, but we don't need to worry about it as much as a regular brewery. So it's just another advantage. What about you, Chris? You got a, a Desert Island fruited sour? What's the fruit? You know, it would probably be black currant. I, I really like that combination. Um, it just hits me right. And we got one coming out uh, on tap this weekend, Shades of Cool. All yeah. right. Oregon Fruit Products Black Current Puree. You may or may not be able to find it at the Hop Grenade. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have to pee. Okay, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Hey, guys, what'll it be? I'm not sure. What do you recommend? A lot of people seem to like the Hefeweizen. Is that a German Hefeweizen or more of an American-style wheat beer? I'm not sure, but I can give you a taste. Okay, great. Great. The Cicerone Certification Program certifies and educates beer professionals in order to elevate the beer experience for consumers. Unfortunately, not every bar is staffed with certified beer servers who can guide their customers through a beer list. Here you go, guys. Let me know what you think of the Hefeweizen. Oh, yeah. That's definitely more of an American meat. But I can hardly tell because this beer just smells like sour butter. I wonder how long it's been since they cleaned the draft line. Yeah, and look at the bubbles on the side of the glass. It's filthy. Somebody should tell these guys about the Cicerone program. For sure. How about we head somewhere else for another beer? Your server should give beer the same respect you do. Request quality. The Cicerone certification program offers four levels of beer certification, in-person classes, and course books for beer professionals. Check them out at Cicerone.org. The Cicerone Certification Program. We know beer. Hey, c'est Jean de la Brasserie Cantillon. Vous écoutez The Sour Horror on Brunwet. <laughs> One more time. Hey, c'est Jean de la Brasserie Cantillon. Vous écoutez la Sour Horror on Bruin Network. All right, thank you for the point. You're welcome. You said on the last show, you're like, because I was listening to it on the way here, like, oh, I probably don't have to point to you on that one. Oh, you yeah, know, no, you're right. Like, funk, funk, and I just know. I'm on autopilot. <laughs> the point is, the point's your move, though. 
you know, yeah. keep it. And I know that's half the reason you got into podcasting, so you can get the, the point. I just want to be able to point and, like, push buttons and... Whatever the what, are they, what, are they, what is that? What is that called? The slider thing. A potentiometer. But what? Really? Yes, a pot for short. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's not just like a slider or a dial. No, nope. this like is that. why I get to be called an engineer, even though I never took oh class one in math. Yeah, that's. I mean, that is an intimidating looking board uh-huh. for sure. I know, right? Lots of lights and buttons. You're doing a great job. Yeah, thank you. Speaking of doing a great job, our friends at the Wine and Hop Shop are killing it. Yeah, they, they kill it every day. Wisconsin's finest homebrew shop. That's not in the copy. That's, I just, I, that's probably right. <laughs> Proprietary tagline here on the Sour Hour. Uh, visit them, wineandhop.com. They're carrying our friends at Omega and Giga Yeast. Sorry, I should say those individually. Omega Yeast and Giga Yeast. Indeed. Most items are going to ship within 24 hours, and best of all, BN listeners get a flat $8 shipping rate on orders under 50 pounds. So, yeast. That should be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just enter BN Shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken off after checkout. The Wine and Hop Shop. Wine and Hop. Wait. Wine. No, 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 no. No? Wine and Hop. I thought that's what we do it for. <laughs> I, yeah, we can move on from okay, the fine. farmer. You know, there's a new Farmers Only commercial on TV now. There is, but they still use the jingle, though. Oh, it's like expanded into like a whole song. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like, you know, Johnny's got a truck, and he's no. feeling lonely. No. I am making fun of farmers only, but apologies. Apologies to any of the farms you work with, Chris, who, you know, maybe they're all over farmer, farmers only. You don't have to be lonely. No, this is this not it? Farmersonly.com. This is, this is the spoken version of it. A country boy, let me try. You don't have to be lonely. Farmersonly.com. They're, like, they're wow. surprised bystanders on the street and they're pigeons that are singing to them. <laughs> Let your country out on farmersonly.com. Oh, that was a weak one. All right, I'll try and find that one for the next show. Yeah, all right. We're letting our country out. Uh, yeah, did I finish the wine and hop shop? Wine and hop. Wine and hop. Dot com. Dot com. Okay. Hard to recover from that. All right, so we're here with Chris Sarles. Chris just slid me a note that says, never sing a jingle to Oregon Fruit Products. (laughs) I noticed Tasty didn't enjoy that on the last show at all either. He was nauseous. He made him physically ill, yeah. Yeah. That's that thing where, you know, you put your nails on the chalkboard, Uh, and to everyone else it sounds really bad. It sounds bad to you too, but since you're doing it, it's not as bad. It's smelling your own fart. Styrofoam. Yeah. Yeah. What's happening? I don't yeah. know. This is the first I think show. We're melting down. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I want to get into a little bit more of like the the comparison of puree with the different forms of fruit. So I'm thinking, you know, you've got whole fruit, which we've used at the rare bro as well. We've used some dried fruit. We never we don't use any extracts or anything like that or flavorings or whatever they're being called now. But uh, what do you feel like is kind of the the benefit to the puree? I think I might be a little biased <laughs> doing what we do, but you know the reason why we do it is we think that the uh, the puree that we make just really provides the purest, most authentic, real fruit flavor compared to the other methods. When I when you look at call it fresh whole fruit, one of the challenges with it is that it's just the smell and the mess. You know, there's just a lot of work that goes into doing and preparing fresh fruit so that you can then use it for brewing. And if you're doing a uh, a one-gallon batch, it might be fine to do. But as soon as you're trying to produce any real quantity, you know, that's why you have Oregon fruit products. You know, we like to do all of that kind of hard, smelly, messy part for you and deliver you nothing but fresh, authentic fruit flavors. 
Right. And, you know, the, the breweries I've been to that, you know, they, they'll use your products, but also sometimes process their own fruit, which is maybe, you know, they grow it locally and they want to source it locally. And they have the equipment to do that, to be able to do that. You know, a lot of people, it's just by hand, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of cutting boards and knives yeah. and gloves and stuff like that. But even even the people who do have the equipment to do maybe someone similar to what you're doing, it's just it's just not what they do all the time. You know, these are brewers and it is messy and labor intensive. So what I always liked about what you guys do is just you do what brewers would do anyway, except you've been doing it longer and better and at a greater volume. So, right. It's a it's a benefit to us. Yeah, it's, it's what we do all day long. Right. <laughs> it, it, we're processing the fruit and doing that. And so we have, I like to say, we, we think we have an expertise at it. Um, and also we don't, we're not sitting around sharpening knives and cleaning cutting boards, which you really need to be careful to make sure that those are actually very, very sterile and clean so that you don't create again, problems for yourself in the, in the brewing um, as well. So uh, we, we like to think we do all the hard work and then leave it to you to really complement what you're doing, which is the art of brewing. Right. And and we just want to be a part of that and, as I say, complement the work that you're doing. Well, that's great. It's really versatile. And then, like, when it comes to kind of the dried fruit extract path, which some brewers will go down. We use dried fruit for a couple of our beers. But I guess, you know, that's not – maybe it's not as, uh, you know, risky as a whole fruit when it comes to kind of cross-contamination or something like that. But I guess there is still – kind of some risk with that that you don't get with your guys purees right i think i think that's the case you know when we do the aseptic packaging that's what we hope um, provides the sterile product to you where everything else if it's left to its own accord it has a chance to be come in contact with something that is not sterile and you know you risk that cross-contamination in the process and i think from a dried fruit standpoint once again it's uh it's a lot of work uh relative to just pouring in a bag mm-hmm. of aseptic puree in the process. Yeah, definitely. So, if people are, let's say, they're they started with uh, you know their their raspberry sour beer, small brewery, or small sour beer program, or just regular beer program, and they were doing their own raspberry processing. Now they're going through an expansion, and you know they want to to switch to you guys, and they're going to do a a test batch, a pilot batch. What's the kind of rough whole fruit? to puree conversion, or is it just a one-to-one? You know, we get a yield uh, on all of the fruits that's less than one, you mm-hmm. know, in a one-to-one because we're taking out skins and seeds and other, you know, particulate. Pits. Right, pits and things. So depending on the fruit, um, it can be, you know, maybe the high side would be 94 95% uh, yield, and we have things that would drop down into the low to mid 80s mm-hmm. percent of what our yield that comes out. Okay. So it really it really does vary fruit by fruit and even sometimes year to year depending on the condition of the fruit, you know, at harvest. Gotcha. So people should just keep that in mind if they're trying to do that that transition from whole fruit. Yeah, I I think that if you're if you're going to try and make a direct conversion, uh, I think that for me to give you a scientific, you know, quote formula on it, I think I would be misleading you. Mm-hmm. Um, really, you ought to think of it as, you know, try it thinking towards one to one, knowing that you're probably going to have to add more. Yep, I think that's probably a, a fair way to do it versus trying to say come in at eighty five percent and. Whoops, that was a little too much. Right. Yeah, I think that's good advice. You can always add more. You, you can't take yeah. it out. 
Can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, like I like to say. <laughs> Except someone pointed out to me that you can, I guess. I don't think, I think I mentioned that. Uh, Was I, it you? Well, not that I put it back in, but that, you know, long, like most people throw away their tube of toothpaste when it's, quote, empty. But in point of fact, if you use scissors to cut open the toothpaste thing, you can scoop out with your toothbrush at oh least four or five more brushings. Four more. or five more? Or more. Well, or more. Or more, Jay. I guess that probably would stick to the side. That's that, a high exactly, viscosity. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know about putting it back in, but uh, I probably could figure that out. I'll, I'll report back on next uh, on the next show. <laughs> I'm going I'm to have to think on that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll uh, tell my girlfriend about that. She'll, she loves conservation. The one with the mole? What? Oh, this is from last time, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, let's all right. I'm moving on. Uh, you want to do a, a, a lightning round of fruit-themed questions, or do you got more? No, let's do lightning round. I can come back to these. Okay, let's do a couple. Here's uh, th- We're going to dip into the archives here. This is uh, from Justin Ferguson. Um, he said, uh, hey, guys, love the show. Super informative. Fill in extra fluff here. Uh, I saw a recent post uh, from Crooked Stave using the winery method, the punch down. We've talked about it on the show for, for fruit in their fooders. Uh, does this seem like a practical method for a carboy? Hmm. I, I think there would be some trickiness there because of the the opening is so small. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I mean, if you if the the liquid was kind of full to the top of the carboy, which is something we advocate. So let's say you're putting fruit into a carboy and then filling it up to the top. I, I guess punching down at that point would be a little bit easier because the carboy itself, the shoulders of it, would be holding the fruit down. But, um, I mean, with the puree, there's there's really no punch down needed there's no floating it's all really well integrated almost immediately right okay uh here is one from ryan in denver uh he says uh thanks for taking the time quick question uh, after fermenting a blonde with a mixture of pedio lacto brett and sack which formed a nice pellicle in my six and a half gallon fermenter i added some fresh fruit he says it's apricots peaches and nectarines toward the end of the fermentation i was thinking of racking this one to the bottling bucket and then directly after racking some fresh wort right on top of the yeast cake uh, my question is would you recommend cleaning the yeast first or is it okay to rack right on top of the cake including the pellicle after it drops out he said, obviously, he would remove the fruit first, uh, but he's wondering okay. if it would produce any off flavors by not washing. I don't think you need to wash. If you're careful careful with removing the fruit, that's fine. We've actually done a few beers where we will brew our apricot golden sour or our uh, black sour with raspberries and then use other beers kind of with that fruit slurry or go back into it. The fruit slurry not only has some of the fruit essence still, but still carries the wild yeast and bacteria from the previous beer to inoculate the first one. It's it's nowhere near the fruit impact of the beer that came before it, but if you just kind of want a kiss of fruit, um, that's something we've done. And, you know, I, I think, again, that's a lot easier with puree than it is with whole fruit. You, you could, but, yeah, if you're safe about removing the whole fruit, that's fine. Yeast washing, you know, I don't think it's necessary as long as, again, you're keeping that away from oxygen, cross-contamination, stuff like that. But, yeah, if you want to keep those yeast and bacteria going, that's great. If you want, another way you can go about it is just take some of the beer you rack off and then put that into its own flask and, you know, add some more to it. Keep that culture going that way. Um, but maybe you do want to save all those dregs. But it can be can be tricky to extract that when it's uh, when you're talking about whole fruit being on top of it. And uh, here's one more from uh, Al Murphy, um, who says, uh, can you guys touch on how to prepare the fruit before adding to secondary fermentation? So would a, or hey, from puree, Oregon puree. fruit products, yeah, you don't need to do anything, right? It's ready to easy. go. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, people <laughs> to chop it up, you know, skin it. We've talked about seeds, pits, stems, all that kind of stuff you want to remove. 
some people may not remove that stuff, but you know, maybe if it's like a peach or something, they want the skin in there. Maybe they, a lot of people will kind of, and I've said this before on the show, but like romanticize this idea of the wild yeast and bacteria on the fruit contributing to the flavor of the beer. I like that idea. I kind of like the idea more of if you think there's a cool yeast or bacteria on a fruit, take a little swab of that fruit, put it into some wort, and then see how that flavor does on its own. But just generally used kind of clean fruit that's not going to cross-contaminate your beer. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, really, the, that's an easy one, right? It's the, the it easiest is. way is just to get puree. Puree, yeah. Whether you're using it as a, a home brewer using the uh, you know the Vintner's Harvest you know package, or if it's ordering from us and using one of the larger forty-two pound bags. Yeah, but there's no the whole fruit side of it. There's no secret. It's it's hard work for yeah. sure. All right. Um, one other question I was thinking about is just kind of like the haze factor when it comes to beers. So, you know, people have varying opinions on, you know, what the level of clarity should be in their beers. Some people, you know, like a lot of haze, but others want kind of more of a clear finished beer. So what's, what is the fruit going to contribute to that and, and how should people tackle it from a clarity perspective? You know, again, I think it's such a personal preference that it's hard to come up with a, a one-size answer for all. But, um, you know, what I personally like is I think that that, that haze um, gives a, a real nice look to the product. But mm-hmm. also there's a mouthfeel that comes from that, you know, kind of sort of a texture um, sensory that you get from that. So I'm in favor of it. Yeah. Um, and if you're going to be taking it out, I think that the consideration is that as you filter – you know, it will take out a bit of that fruit flavor, as does uh, it strips out other things as well. So it may require a higher level of dosing of fruit or even an introduction of a secondary dosing of fruit at some point to allow you to get the same residual fruit flavor that you're looking for. And it wasn't, uh, I believe it was your dark sweet cherry that you guys depectinized. Is that right? And what, what was, how did that come about? Were people asking for that? Yeah, you know, it was, it was really, as we like to say, you know, we, we want to experiment and help people innovate in the brewing business. So we had enough requests by people saying, you know, could you try a depectinized version of some products? So we did it with our dark sweet cherry, and we also have done it with grapefruit mm. as, as an, um, an option for people to play around with. And for some, they liked that they, they felt that it, again, made it easier to work with, and that when it came to even filtering, that there was less uh, less hassle. Mm-hmm. But on the whole, what's come back is that people have said, no, we would prefer that you not depectinize. We still offer it, but we didn't take it across the portfolio because most people asked us to keep pectin still in the product gotcha. rather than depectinizing. And how does that work, the depectinizing? Optimization word? You know, <laughs> speed that up in post. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to say it's, you know, something, you know, really mysterious and all, but it's, it's enzymes that are added mm-hmm. that then break down the uh, pectin um, and it eventually essentially removes all of the pectin from the product. Okay, cool. The pectinase. And one thing you touched on there is just your guys' openness for this kind of feedback loop with all the all the brewers out there that you're working with. And, you know, I personally get the sense from, from you guys, but also talking to other brewers that, you know, you're really interested in following up with them and seeing how things went and, you know, also looking for new products. What's, uh, what's new kind of coming up and... And what are you looking to do next after that? You know, this last year has been a fun year of what we thought was fun and innovation. We introduced grapefruit, blood orange, mango. Uh, We are also doing passion fruit 
rhubarb, and pineapple. Yeah. So we came out with those this last year, all at requests of, of people like our listeners tonight. And so what we, we say is on our website, we've got lots of places you can talk to us. Uh, you can pick up and call uh, the, the office, and we're looking for input, and we want to produce what you want us to produce. So if you um, have some ideas, please give us a call. Um, you can get me at Chris S at OregonFruit.com, and I'd love to hear from you. We're looking to 2017 to come up with uh, a new lineup of products to add. We're looking at guava, Mm. uh, looking at some other uh, uh, citrus and tropical fruits as well. But we would love to hear from you. That's how uh, this last year's ideas came. It was brewers around the country who said, I'd really like grapefruit. All right, let's make a grapefruit then. Yeah. So we, we, we care about our, our relationships with the brewers. We really want to innovate and help you um, innovate. So reach out to us. Awesome. Any ideas, Scott? Durian? Du- <laughs> That's always that and apples are always your suggestion. <laughs> yeah. You know that do you know the Dorian uh, fruit? It's Not like familiar. Oh it's extremely uh, yeah. smelly. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't even know what else to say about it. It's, it's legendary for its stink. It's just a oh, nice. stinky, I would not stinky do that. fruit. Where is it? It's like like uh, like the Vietnamese love it, or, or like the Philippines. It's it's popular in somewhere South that is Southeast not here. Asia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dorian. Yeah, yeah. That's not a real suggestion. Not a good idea. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I'm super easy. I just keep it up with the peaches and the apricots. That's all I need. Uh, well, yeah, but brewers are always thirsty I for. I mean, every pretty much everything you guys are coming out with. You know, I'm sure you get a lot of renewed interest. So it's kind of fun. You know, I think we've got other suppliers like our our yeast labs, which of course has a huge impact on flavor, and they come out with these new strains and new kind of uh, proprietary yeast bacteria mixes, and people go crazy for those. And I think for a while, uh, you know, you guys lineup was pretty consistent. And with so many new products now, I think it's 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 a great way to tap into the craft brewing community because that's what we're all about, right? And you know we're even we're playing around, and if I'd love to hear hear from folks as well on this, but we've had a lot of interest as well in botanicals, you know whether oh. that was a, a blueberry mint hmm. or a strawberry basil, you know oh, some yeah. some of those combinations, and letting our R and D team produce some things that we thought were the right combination at the right levels to produce something. You know, just right for brewing. We haven't done any yet, but that's something on our, our list of testing as well. That's pretty cool. Tomatoes and oregano? Tomatoes are a fruit, right? A little, <laughs> they go both directions. It's a lot of pasta there. <laughs> uh, have, have you done uh, guava beer at Red Barrel yet? Uh, we made a guava beer at the brewery, actually. Okay. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. That sounds I think awesome. That was part of our collaboration with uh, Cigar City. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, right. I actually just had uh, Wayne, uh, their head brewer, over mm-hmm. the Red Barrel the other day. Oh, cool. Yeah. What was he doing out here? He's hanging out with uh, Sean from 21st Amendment. Oh, yeah. So that's reason enough to fly across the country. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I'll give you one more thing to, yeah. to give you an idea of the flexibility of, of what we like to do with working with the brewers. Uh, this last year, we came out with a product that – or produced a product for a brewery who said, you know, we'd really like to come out with something that was from a, a single farm, mm. single varietal one berry. And so we froze up blueberries from a specific farmer just, you know, 10 miles away, uh, froze them, packaged them, and then they went down and they used them as fresh berries coupled with our puree, kind of a, a hybrid of it. And then they're able to turn around and tell a great story to their consumers about, you know, agriculture, specific farmer, you know, all, all of the fun things that we're all looking for a way to help sell our product. And a story is sometimes you have to create. And here there's some really great natural agricultural stories we can help you tell. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm envisioning this growing and, you know, people, all these breweries go up for hop selection. And it's like, all right, now we'll just go up to uh, Oregon yep. for fruit selection. Yep. Go pick some berries and drink some beer and hang out for a week and source the fruit for the year. We get a lot of visitors when they come to do their hop selection. People swing by, say hi, and we'll uh, we'll spend time in the plant and, and take their suggestions there. Awesome. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for not just coming down and talking to us, but everything you're doing. I mean, you're really making a difference with the quality of the fruit beers out there. So on behalf of... All the brewers and homebrewers listening right now, I gotta, I gotta say thanks. Well, we're very thankful for being here, and and truly appreciative of each and every brewer that takes the time to select Oregon fruit. We realize that there's choices out there, and we value your business. We uh, we thank you for doing business with Oregon Fruit Products, a family-owned business in Oregon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. All right. Yeah. I think that's gonna do it, Scott. I think so, can we just go eat some raw fruit? Yeah, let's do yeah, it. I'm like Jones in now. Thanks again, Chris, for coming down. Thanks to Scott. Thanks to Bevo for being here for one second. No. No thanks to Bevo. Thanks to all you listeners. Until next time. You're too early, bro. No, no. that's I let it build. Purpose? Yeah, for okay. sure. You know what you got to do. Stay sour. Stay sour.